Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Japan is slated to begin releasing nuclear-contaminated water from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant as early as this August amid ongoing controversy. While the International Atomic Energy Agency, the world's nuclear watchdog, claims the approach and activities to the discharge of the water are quote-unquote consistent with international safety standards, concerns over long-term effects on health, environment and biodiversity diversity persist. Is the discharge plan a responsible solution or a selfish, reckless gamble? What can neighboring countries and Pacific Island nations do to put reason and science above politics and economics? A few days ago, I talked to a strong lineup of guests to find out. They included from Guangzhou City in southern China, Professor Chi Ye from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, also professor of the School of Public Policy and Management of Tsinghua University. From Sorrento, Italy, Lake Barrett, a former U.S. Department of Energy official, now a senior advisor to Tokyo Electric power company or TEPCO. From Maryland, the United States, Dr. Arjun Mahijani, president of the Institute for Energy and Environmental Research and an advisor to Pacific Island countries on the issue. And from Mauritius, Duncan Curry, an international law expert. Professor Chi, let me go with you first. Um, it seems that we have two issues here. One is about politicization of uh, scientific matters. The other is the pure scientific matter, whether or not Japan's plan is reliable and durable. What exactly is China object or South Korea and the Pacific Island countries are objecting to? Currently, the release of the, the so-called treated water into the ocean and uh, is indeed a transnational, transboundary and transgenerational issue. And it will have a long-term impact on the ecosystems, on the ecology of the ocean, on the, uh, the human health. I mean, this is more than a scientific issue. It is an issue with ecological, social and economic dimensions. We all acknowledge that. And uh, issues like this, we must find a consensus in order to find consensus, we need the, the, uh, the scientific research, we need to, to release the scientific data, we need to have an engaged debate. But so far, we do not see that yet. Indeed, we have CIEA to release the report. I think that is just the, the beginning of it. And we should not take it as the last verdict. And we should take it very seriously and, uh, and to have a scientific debate and have a debate uh, among the people, among all the stakeholders, all the concerned citizens. That is what is lacking right now. I think the, the citizens in the world and government are concerned because we do not have this debate yet. We do not have an open, engaged discussion yet. And uh, so we must halt it right now and uh, do not release before we reach that consensus. All right, uh, Mr. Barrett, let me go to you. You are a senior advisor to the TEPCO. You must have been discussing this topic or hearing about it uh, reported for quite some time now. What is the TEPCO's narrative or version of the story? Um, you have tried to communicate with the international community. How come uh, it seems that at least some of Japan's neighbors are not convinced that the plan is safe and durable? 
The Fukushima accident back in 2011 was a very serious matter and everyone takes that uh, uh, very seriously and we want to be reducing the risk for everyone involved in Japan and across the world. So that work continues on. From a scientific point of view, what's needed here is to reduce the risk at the site and we need to move forward and remove the melted fuel debris that's inside. It's being contained inside, but those systems are very old now and they're, they're degrading. So we need to move forward with the fueling. And to do that, we need to make room on the site to be able to remove that fuel. The treated water has been treated and it needs to be scientifically evaluated. It's been done and has happened for the last two years. It has been reviewed by the International Atomic Energy Agency, as well as by many others. A Korean de large Korean delegation uh, visited the site and reviewed the science that's going on there. The radioactivity that's in the treated water is minuscule. Uh, it meets all international safety and environmental standards. And uh, it's really gotten difficult in my point of view uh, from a geopolitical point of view where different countries have different uh, uh, relationships and there's been a difficult past for 100 years. But we need to move forward with the science uh, as to the safety of it, and it is safe. Uh, it is environmentally acceptable, and it is a small fraction of, of what's needed for protection in the future. Professor Makijani, um, we've heard uh, this uh, statement from the side of Japan and the TEPCO company. Uh, what is the viewpoint from uh, some of the uh, scientists in this field and uh, from the Pacific Island nations, which you have been serving as an independent expert for their recommendations? Right. Thank you. I'm one of the five expert panel members. Uh, we've been looking at this pretty intensively for some time. Our first report to the Pacific Islands Forum was issued last August. We found a host of problems with the science that TEPCO had done. We found they didn't have an accurate idea of what was in the tanks. We found they had no accurate idea of how they were going to deal with the water in the tanks that have sludges. Would the sludges actually gum up the treatment system? Would it actually work? What would happen if the water wasn't clean enough? Well, they said, we'll simply run it through again and again. How many times? Well, one of the IAEA representatives actually said, well, it could be 300 times. That is not a plan. So the scientific deficiencies in the environmental impact assessment are very serious. We have ecologists, ocean ecologists as part of our team. They are, uh, you cannot arrive at an, a conclusion based on a seriously flawed environmental assessment that the harm will be negligible. In fact, the IAEA was so eager to say the harm will be quote unquote negligible that the IAEA in their meeting with us on the 8th and 9th of June, 9th of June in your part of the world, said that nature creates thousands of kilos of tritium every year, whereas the correct number is a few hundred grams a year. So, so eager were they to say the harm will be negligible that the amount of natural tritium was stated wrongly by 10,000 times. But that's not my biggest worry. My biggest worry is what the IAEA is doing and what is in its report. It has announced seven documents that says are fundamental to this evaluation. And it has thrown overboard essential parts of those documents. 
Safety principle number four says it must be justified, which means benefits must be more than the harm. Guidance number eight says elaborates on that. And the IAEA says we are not going to consider justification because we came into this after the decision to dump was already made. And dump is a technical term in the 1972 Treaty on Prevention of the Marine Pollution, and that's what we should call this, dumping, because that is what it is. So let me say one more thing. The IAEA said that justification is Japan's responsibility. We're not going to look at it. What has Japan said? Japan, in a letter to the expert panel, said that we are not going to consider justification and benefits for every individual country. The Pacific Ocean is a society as a whole, and Japan is basically going to decide for that society as a whole. I think that's a pretty egregious statement, because if Japan is going, if there's a decision to be made for the Pacific society as a whole, I think the people of that Pacific society should have a pretty big say Mm. in that decision making, which has not been the case. All right. Um, I will have uh, the other guests to respond to what uh, Dr. Uh, Makijani just said. But, uh, Mr. Curry, let me go to you first. You are more of an expert on the legal aspect and, of course, on the environmental aspect. What is your position uh, on this matter? And what do you think is the important messages that are not being heard now? Yeah, th- thank you. There are two primary issues at, at stake here. Firstly is the obligation not to pollute uh, areas beyond your jurisdiction and to ensure that the ac- pollution within your jurisdiction does not spread beyond the area that, that the Japan exercises sovereign rights. In other words, a very clear, very long-standing obligation not to allow pollution to escape from your co- own country to the high seas or to the waters of, of another country. Quite honestly, there's absolutely no doubt this uh, obligation will be breached here. There's also a general overarching obligation under the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, which says the states have the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment, again, not being implemented here. And then the second big concern is the lack of environmental impact assessment. International law is, again, very clear. When states have reasonable grounds for believing that activities may cause substantial pollution of or significant and harmful changes to the marine environment, they shall assess the potential effect of these activities by conducting an environmental impact assessment. What we have seen is not an environmental impact assessment. It, it does not, for example, look at cumulative impacts. It only looks at three species in, in, in the water. It doesn't, it doesn't, for example, look at mussels which bioaccumulate. Um, it, it hasn't, Japan hasn't carried out full consultations with neighbours. and. Uh, There are alternatives, we haven't touched on that, but for example, the tritium, which is the radioactive isotope which we've talked about here, Mm -hmm. um, has a relatively short half-life, so if it was left in storage for another 12 years, that would improve the safety. Japan could, or TEPCO, could acquire more land and build more tanks, so there are alternatives here that haven't been discussed. And lastly, there are steps that countries can take. China, Korea, concerned Pacific Island states can go to an international court called the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea, which is based in Hamburg. They could obtain a, an order called, um, essentially it's like an, an injunction, um, and they could get an order, for example, requiring that Japan consults with its neighbours, does not cause serious harm to the marine environment, and so on. 
So international law does provide a way forward. The last thing I would say is that the world has just finished negotiating a treaty on marine biodiversity called BBNJ for short. And that treaty has very specific provisions on how to conduct an environmental impact assessment, including things I just talked about, consultation, public participation, cumulative impacts, things that we haven't seen carried out here. And it also underlines Mm. the concern the entire global community has about the uh, protection and and preservation of Mm. marine biodiversity. Thank you. Well, let me get back to our American guest, Mr. Barrett. I know you are the minority here. That's why you're particularly appreciated for your being with us and, you know, have the courage to answer all of these tough questions. What are some of the points you want to address, uh, as has have been mentioned by our other guests, for instance, the fact that there is not an environmental impact assessment that's been carried out by TEPCO on this issue. The IAEA is more or less a nuclear safety watchdog, whereas environment and biodiversity is a different topic. There have been extensive environmental analyses done for the last 12 years about the Pacific Ocean. First of all, everybody cares very much about the Pacific Ocean and maintaining this environmental strength and, and the diversity that's there. And Japan would like to have friends with everyone, but there is a long history. The world has to deal with that. But from a science point of view, the radioactivity in in this tritiated water is minuscule. It's the same as what's released in a controlled manner from every reactor across the world. And there are many uh, misleading statements given to scare people and make them upset about it. And it's sad to see in the geopolitical arena that going on dealing with issues for the last hundred years. There have been environmental studies about everything in this water release. It's been processed many times. It's very open and transparent. It's very technical. Information has been given, and sometimes it's not given in the most effective manner for the common person to understand. But precautions have been taken. They've been reviewed by over 50 experts in the International Atomic Energy Agency, including representatives from China and from South Korea and and Pacific Islands as well. So there has been a lot of uh, information exchange, but there's always some people who don't agree with it. There are some people who are anti-nuclear and well, don't want to... Yeah. Mr. Barrett, put the geopolitics aside. As I mentioned, the National Association of Marine Laboratories, which is a group of 100 uh, laboratories in the United States or on U.S. territories, they are objecting to the plan. I don't think geopolitics is there. They're saying there's a lack of accurate and critical data to assess the impact of the plan. How do you respond to that? I responded by saying oh, that data is now available. It is on the TEPCO website. People can go and see it. Yes, five, six years ago, there, there was uh, information was not provided as much but, as it should But they have been. released the statement, yeah. Mr. Barrett. They released the statement only last December. It was not yes, right. I'm, I'm, Yeah. I'm much familiar with that process uh, by which that statement came to be. They did look at the regulatory environmental impact statement. I'm one of the scientists that has reviewed this, so it's not easy to mislead me with numbers. You know that, Mr. Barrett. We've known each other for a long time, right? Uh, So uh, I'm a numbers person. I take my numbers extremely seriously. I have lived by my numbers for more than half a century. And this regulatory environmental impact statement is seriously flawed, and the IAEA has endorsed 
a plan based on a seriously flawed environmental impact statement. I'm not panicking anybody. I'm just saying you can't make a scientifically sound statement on safety on a scientifically flawed environmental impact statement. I'll give you an example. A recent uh, peer-reviewed uh, paper on tritium impact on carp showed that 500 becquerels per liter, which is one-third the level proposed to be discharged after dilution, 500 becquerels per liter would increase the rate of damaged eggs and dead eggs in carp relative to control water. Now, control water doesn't have zero tritium. It has some tritium in it, so it's also polluted. But this is 500 is more. And as you increase that to 5,000, the damage increases significantly, statistically. We presented this to Japan. The most important thing I'd like to say is the expert panel uh, over about a year ago suggested that the water could be cleaned and put into concrete. The concrete will stop, stop the tritium in beta. You know that, Mr. Barrett, right? Beta rays from tritium are very weak. So they will be stopped by concrete. Even if the concrete becomes rubble, the tritium beta particles will not get out. So this should be evaluated. It was not evaluated when we first brought it up. TEPCO falsely said, or misleadingly at least said, we've evaluated it when they had evaluated something completely different. Now, why are concrete would make room faster? I think you should persuade your client to look yeah. at it, Lake, Lake oh. Barrett. I'd, I'd be okay. happy to work with you on that. Okay, Dr. Makijani, again, this is a pressing question that a lot of people have been asking. Has Japan exhausted all the available options or explored all possible options in disposing the water? For instance, using it for irrigation if it is safe or putting it into concrete, as Mr. Makijani just said. Why not trying these options because that will limit the environmental impact to Japan's territory instead of spreading it potentially to other parts of the world. The Japanese government five years ago had an extensive multi-year evaluation of the various options. They looked at building additional tanks. They looked at evaporating the water. They looked at, you know, other matters like that. So they evaluated these for over two years in a public manner. Public reports exist out there. And they looked at it. There is no room at the site. It is a very tight site. It is salty water. So you can't necessarily put it on irrigation, as Dr. Makahani said. So there are many, I didn't many say that. Well, you just said you could. Well, you I didn't say irrigation. He said put well, it in I, concrete. I said irrigation. You, <laughs> you could put it in. You could put it in concrete. Okay, you could, but there's no room, and the and it's stopping the risk reduction of moving forward to remove the radioactive fuel that's melted inside that plant. That is the largest risk, and that's what needs to be pursued to reduce the risk for everyone in the Pacific region. Um, and this is, as I said, it's a tenth of the radioactivity that's released every day from the Chinese reactors in America as well. So it is not an environmental disaster that people use those words mm. all the time. Okay. Professor Chi, you want to jump in there? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, uh, Mr. Barrett, I think it's not quite appropriate to compare the, uh, the emission, I mean, the release of this uh, uh, treated water to the emission of Chinese and American facilities, because these are very different in nature. And you talked about misunderstanding uh, of the, the statement or, or your EIA stuff. 
you know, I'm also a numbers person. Uh, and I, uh, I used to teach at UC Berkeley and Cornell. I used to work at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. We look at the numbers very seriously. I think it is a very good first step to release these reports and then make these reports available to the public, to the scientific community. Let's have engage a discussion on this. And uh, you cannot just say, you know, these are final conclusions and these are absolutely correct. Let's talk about this, you know, like, like this kind of conversation. Why such a rush to release the water? And I also, I think that the space should not be a problem. We're talking about one million, right? One million tons. Well, what's that? That is the very limited space. And uh, I think the, the fundamental approach should be to a containment of whatever pollution, the radioactive pollution is especially important. The containment, not to release, not to make a transboundary to, to other places, like Mr. Curry just said, right? You should not to make that pollute, the pollution beyond your own jurisdiction. And that's the very basic, the, the, the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we need to think about a very different approach. The current approach is absolutely not right. It's not moving in the right direction. So let, let's stop it. Let's have a conversation. Let's, let's make it some more frankly sound uh, discussion on this before we take this such a, a tragic Okay. Yeah. Mr. Curry, uh, from your perspective, uh, what's the stalemate and the way out of it? What would be even greater consequence if Japan really goes ahead, despite the objections and mm. the controversies? Yes, thank you. I think Professor Chi put his finger on it when he, he, he talked about the need for consultation and discussion, because when um, Mr. Barrett, for example, talked about the need to re reduce risk, Japan is reducing risk at the expense of its neighbours and at the expense of the international community and the Pacific Island countries. That's the nub of the problem. The fishermen are going to, or fisher folk are going to, to suffer from this. Um, people will not buy fish which is contaminated or believed to be contaminated by Fukushima. So you'll, you, you'll see a lot of people suffering very real economic consequences as well as, well as concern and, and as well as the damage to the marine environment. And this is the reason that that international coordination and consultation is absolutely critical. It's an obligation yeah. under international law. Yeah. So um, th that's the way to address this, is mm. to reach out and try to find a solution which does not pass the risk okay. on to the environment or to other countries. Mr. Curry, let me interrupt you here because we have a comment who says by this Anton Zhang who, says, who asks, will the U.S. impose sanctions for a thing like this? Well, I know this is a probably a cynical statement or you know, asking a question out of cynicism, but in real life situation, Mr. Curry, can the other countries just sit and watch even if they are objecting to the plan of Japan on a matter that concerns them, obviously? Is there any international mechanism in place or tools that the neighboring countries or Pacific Island countries can take in order to have their say and have their interests protected? Yes, there is. They can take a case to the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea in Hamburg and request provisional measures. That hearing would be take place very quickly, um, a matter of months. We, we've seen this before. There was another nuclear case um, in, in 2003, when again there was a very short um, time elapsed between the filing of the case. What and if Japan the objects to that? What if Japan says, I'm not going? Unfortunately for Japan, Japan is a member of the international community. They're a party to the Law of the Sea Convention, 
and there are 20 judges sitting there in Hamburg waiting to hear the case. It, it is already paid for by the public purse. Japan would have no alternative. They could, they could fail to show up, but the result of that would be an order against Japan. Oh, wow. um, it, it, so it, there are legal tools okay. that can be, can be taken now. Mm. Thank you. Well, time is very limited. I'm going to give each and every one of you an opportunity to speak very briefly about the way out of this. You know, despite the geopolitics, uh, there are real impact, real stakes, real interests at stake so for the people in the region. Professor Chi, you want to start? Uh, do not release the water uh, right now. Let's have a consultation. Let's have a serious discussion on this. Okay, Mr. Barrett? It's important that the international community discuss things. I agree with that. Uh, but the water is safe and it needs to be released to go forward to reduce the risk for everybody in this globe. Dr. Makijani, please. The Nuclear Regulatory Authority in Japan should cancel its authorization and the concrete option should be considered. Safe storage and seismically safe tanks after cleaning the water could also be considered. But concrete could make space faster. It is a safer option and would avoid transboundary mm. pollution and dumping on other countries. That's what I think should happen. Okay, Mr. Curry, without having to go to court, what can be done? Before that, well, the international law is very clear here. Japan has uh, number one an obligation to carry out an environmental impact assessment. It hasn't done so. You will not find the word cumulative impacts addressed in the IAA study. Um, this is a 30-year process. You know, the impacts will accumulate. They will by accumulating the environment. This hasn't been done, as well as the consultations haven't been carried out. That's the first thing Japan must do: okay. carry out a full public environmental impact assessment and then it must Im implement the international legal requirements. Thank you very much. We have to leave it there. We have been talking to Thank Professor Chiye from Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, also Professor of the School of Public Policy and Management from Tsinghua University. Joining us from Guangzhou, Mr. Lake Barrett, former U.S. Uh, Department of Energy official and now Senior Advisor to TEPCO. Dr. Arjun Makijani, President of the Institute for Energy and Environmental Research and Duncan Curry, an international law expert. Gentlemen, thank you very much. With that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin, coming to you from Beijing. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. You've got The Point. The best military commander is not he who fights a hundred battles and wins every one of them. The best military strategy does not lead to the desiccation of the enemy's capital city. Decoding the art of war will help you understand why there is no art in war and how Sun Tzu stayed undefeatable using the science of war with fun stories and insightful breakdown of famous battles. Tune in to Decoding the Art of War on Spotify.